Hey guys, you're listening to Drunk and Uncultured. We are a drinking problem masquerading as a pop culture podcast. I'm Stephanie. I'm also Stephanie. And there's no Lindsay here. Nope, no Lindsay's No today. Lindsay, just Stephanie. <laughs> I said I was going to do it at some point. Your re- response is less than lackluster. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Less than lackluster means I had a good response. <laughs> no, if something's less than lackluster, that means it's worse than bad. Oh, I'm thinking... Mm. I'm thinking more I'm thinking, than lackluster. No, I'm thinking double negative. I don't know why. For some reason know. in my head, I thought Whatever. that was a double What I was trying to say is that it was not as what I expected. But also, it was fine. <laughs> All right, cool. Um... It's the first episode of October, and you know what that means. Yeah, I'm going to talk to you guys about music that came out in September. So, let's start with an album that came out on September 11th. Um, It's the band Everything Everything. They're back with their new album, Reanimator. Um, This album was really fun. This album was supposed to come out... I want to say in July or August, but they've delayed it due to COVID. So I've been waiting for this album for a very long time. Um, This album was great. It's more electronic sounding than a lot of their previous work, but it was still really, really good. Did you say back in August is when it was supposed to come out? Yeah. So you waited a month? No, I'm saying it was like July or... They they delayed... I don't remember when it was supposed to come out. They delayed the release. Okay. And they said it was due to COVID. I know, but they released singles for it in like January. That's fair. Okay, so I gave this one a 9 out of 10. The next one came out on September 18th. It is the band OCs, which is formerly known as The OCs, the OCs and a bunch of other names. A bunch of other variations of, of spelling o- for OCs. But OCs is also an abbreviation for something, yeah. so I don't know. Long story, OCs. Um, their album is... Protein Threat, and this album was great. I absolutely loved it. I gave it a perfect 10. I feel like moving forward, whenever you say 10s, I need to start putting in music that goes... It's always like... I feel like the tens are the yeah, big ones, yeah. But it's like it's never exciting when you say 10 because there's nothing like cueing with it. Like, fair. We need like a soundboard. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that'll take it to the next level. Right? <laughs> That's how you know you're a real podcast when you have a soundboard. I'll just do the sounds from my mouth. <laughs> burr, 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 ten. Burr, burr, burr. Yeah, I'll just write it on a piece of paper Wee. and you can just put your finger on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, the next one came out on 9-25. And it is Sufjan Stevens and his new album, The Ascension. Um... It was so good. I loved it. He's incredible. He could do no wrong. I'm disappointed in Sufjan Stevens because what? he only made made albums for two states. What about the rest of them? Wasn't he supposed to do 50 states? I don't know. Maybe. And he only got through Illinois and Michigan? Hey, uh, I don't know. Uh, that was a 9 out of 10. Um, oh, here it is. The The next one also, the next two actually also came out on 925. Well... Came out on 925. Uh, Sylvan Esso released their album Free Love. It's very like soft and floaty, a little bit less of like the heavy electronic beats of their previous work, but it was so good to listen to. I feel like I've been seeing that album everywhere, like for sale, um, like especially on Rough Trade. Yeah. Um, Sylvan Esso's great. Of course they were hyping up that album. No, release. I know. What was that? The, it was a 9 out of 10. Okay. 
And then the last one technically was dropped on September 22nd, but it was a 9-25 release date. Anyways, Fleet Foxes released the new album, Shore. It is so good. It's probably some of my favorite work that they've ever done beyond their like very, very, very early work. I, I absolutely loved it. I highly recommend you go listen to it. It was released in honor of the solstice, which is why it came out on 922 and not 925. Um, I gave it a 9 out of 10. It's so good. I'm sorry. For like that hype up, you only gave it a 9 out of 10. I was ready yeah, to put my I finger... Gave, I gave the OCs I a 10 out of 10. I'm just saying, I was ready to put my finger down and go... Bow, 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 bow. No, I gave it a 9 because the OCs set the bar too high. I know, but I feel like you hyped that one up way more than you hyped up the OCs album. And you're like, get it, buy it. It's amazing. Listen nine to it. Nine, nine out of ten. <laughs> I mean, I gave Igor a nine out of ten. And there's Dom nothing Pearl. wrong with this album. It was fantastic, amazing. Nine out of ten. <laughs> Best album I've ever listened to. Nine out of ten. We did this with Igor last year too, because I gave the National a ten out of ten, and then yeah, I, I reviewed Igor immediately after, and I'm like, I couldn't. I was no, I, mean, back I to get my... it. It's just funny. They're like, Best album I've ever listened to. Nine out of ten. <laughs> But the 10 out of 10, not the best album I've ever listened to, but it gets the 10 out of 10. Uh, uh okay. <laughs> now, is anything allowed to get an 11 out of 10, Stephanie? Not yet. Not, we haven't done that yet. Wow. Um. So, as you can hear, there's a guest here with us that's been interrupting, and, um... We're so rudely interrupting. <laughs> Wait your turn. <laughs> and, um... He's, he's been a recurring guest for us. Um, we're going to ask him the same questions we do every time. We'll see if his answers change. I don't know if he remembers his answers. So, here we go. I don't remember his answers. The, the questions are... It, er, what are your name? What is your name? <laughs> what are your name? What are your name? What are your I haven't drank anything. What are your name? Um, what's your favorite beer? What's your favorite piece of pop culture? And a weird fact about you. Is that the right order? Ah, uh, yes. Care. What weird fact is last? Yeah. Mm, I wish I would remember these so I could have pre-think them. Um, I'm Trevor. Um, my favorite beer. So the last two times I've been on the show, my two fa- my favorite beers were um, Fuzzy Snack, oh, Green yeah. Whistle. Um, but right now it is Laughing at Tyrants by Rake Beer Project, which is just a double dry hop IPA. Um, conditioned in pineapple it is very good in the can. Conditioned is very in pineapple? That's what the description said. It's like they put the beer into pineapples? How do you condition in a pineapple? Mm. Okay. It's really good, though. You should find out how he conditions it in a pineapple, because I would love to know how you condition beer in a pineapple. I would like to know this weekend, yeah. And then also find out if pineapple is a pizza topping. It's it not. is. It's, it's not. not. It is. No, but this is an important topic. It's not. Um, okay. Favorite piece of pop culture? <laughs> <clears throat> um, you're wrong, but the my favorite piece of pop culture right now is Shit's Creek because I'm finally watching the last season of it, so it's a current... Thing. I have an opinion about Shit's Creek. I've never watched it, so I obviously don't understand the hype, but I feel like it's just kind of like, the last year, in 2020, I feel like it's just been everywhere, and I don't really understand why all of a sudden people are, like, crazy about it. Because it was the final season. Is that why people are crazy yeah. about it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, never it was only it. available on, like, really weird streaming services. I yeah, think it just before. got added to Netflix this year, yeah. and that, like, this final season was aired uh, like, live. So it, it just was available on Netflix this year. I think so. Oh, okay. last year. Oh. Because okay. I so didn't know what it was until last year, and there were already five seasons of it. Got it. Yeah, well, I maybe just I'll have... watch that, and we'll talk about it for binge watch update. It's amazing. 
Um, it's hilarious. Um, strangest thing about me. Um, Not strangest, just a weird thing about you. Um, I willingly eat dairy, even though I know what it does to my stomach. That's not you that strange. You and every other lactose intolerant person in the world, though. Yeah. Because Matt eats dairy. Yeah, that's like the weird thing about people that are lactose intolerant. They're like, most people that are allergic, like peanut allergy, like, no, I'm not going to eat that. Well, that's probably going to kill you, but. Yeah. Like, I'm allergic to cats. I go around cat. Oh, that doesn't help me. <laughs> doesn't help my point. But most people that are, like, allergic to things, like gluten intolerances, they try to avoid it. But, like, lactose intolerant people, they're like, oh, I shouldn't be eating cheese. Um, I haven't told you to stop grating the Parmesan of this pasta yet, though. Yeah. Well, and the problem is that cheese is better on everything. True. It makes everything better. True. So... Just like hot sauce. Yeah. Yeah. Which also in is my not defense, good for I did insides. order my crunch. Is it not? Because I feel like hot sauce and me get along very well. I don't. Oh. Doesn't give you the fiery poops. No. Mm. But maybe that's my genetic makeup as. Could be. A brown person can handle that it has more. grown up eating, eating very spicy food. Oh, I did not grow up eating spicy foods. My parents no. did not flavor their food whatsoever. My parents um, would make curry food. with scotch bonnets, which is like a super hot pepper, mm-hmm. and like fish out the pepper and like eat it on the side of like the curry. They'd like take a bite of it and then like eat curry and take no a bite soul. of it. That is yeah, no, it's, <laughs> I'd cry. And sometimes I find the pepper and cry. Because like, if you, they'd call it like finding the pepper when they cut up pieces of pepper. And then my parents would have to, like, watch us while we ate just to make sure we didn't, it didn't happen to us. But, like, that would happen and your mouth would just, like, not, would just be numb. <laughs> it was bad. So you got any other strange facts about you that are not the most common thing about lactose intolerance? Well, the only reason I brought that up was because it's relevant because I just you had just something had very dairy-heavy right yeah. before we started recording. True. Mm, no, I'm going to stick with that one for tonight. No, that's a bad one. You have to that <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to think of another one. Okay. Weird fact about me. I could put my legs behind my head. Yeah, I've seen you do it too. It's weird. It's not that it's weird. It's that it's weird that he does it while on video with us. <laughs> you do it at work calls? No, yeah, no, no, not no, work no. calls. No, no. Yes. <laughs> no. Mid-conversation like when we're like Skyping or like on a Google Hangouts with the group. Oh, with the, with the, the, the crew. Got it. I mean, I think he may be doing on work calls when it's just me and say, him on a work call. I feel like on a do... work call. Yeah. Well, sometimes I just hang out with my like leg on my... Well, like, yeah, sometimes you also lean back and, like, throw your leg up in the air. Like, I do it all the time to stretch my, yeah. you know, like, hamstring. I don't want but, my head to be there. Mm, but, um, yeah, that's an interesting fact about me. Yeah. Sure. Sure. We'll go with that. Um, so, it's Spooktober, which is why Trevor's here. We always do something spooky all Halloween. So, we are drinking a... Halloween fall related beer. Yeah. Um, this episode we're drinking the pumpkin ale from Upslope Brewing Company in Boulder, Colorado. It's a um, limited release. Ooh. Yep. So for those of you that follow our Instagram, you know that we were in Colorado. I think we mentioned it last episode too. Um, so we picked this up there. It's 7.7%. Um, the ingredients are snow melt, malt, baby bear pumpkins, Hops, yeast, and spices. So, baby bear pumpkins, I've actually been reading a lot about pumpkins in preparation for a thing that we're doing as a group, like as a friend group. Baby bear pumpkins are suggested for like use in pumpkin pies and like sweeter pumpkin. Huh. 
Um, same with like sugar pumpkins. Huh. I didn't know that there are multiple types of pumpkins, um, but I recently learned that there are different types of pumpkins. I was wondering that because when I went to Whole Foods last weekend, they had carving pumpkins yeah. and then just pumpkins next to it. And yeah. I was like, what's the I difference? feel like you don't really eat carving pumpkins. I think like because yes. they're so big, they maybe don't have a lot of flavor. It's yeah, just they also sometimes have less gunk in them, so I wonder if they're yeah. really genetically modified for that. Um, and then I will say snow melt is something that we kept seeing a lot in Boulder. Um, specifically, Upslope uses snow melt a lot as a term, and it's usually meant to like describe water from the Rocky Mountains. Interesting. Oh. Um, so like some of their beers, like or they have cider or um, not ciders, they have seltzers that you can get, and they pour them over snow melt. Interesting. Which I don't know if it's actually like snow from the Rocky Mountains in this case. I think it's just like ice, like slushy machine ice, but they uh-huh. call it snow, snow melt. And I think it's, I think maybe it's made from water outside of. Got it. All right, or gang. From the Rocky Mountains. Well, let's get it. I can smell the malt. It smells malty. Ooh, that is good. Oh, it also says pumpkins grown and harvested by Munson Farms, where which is kind of nice. It tells you. I like that they have the can specs on here. Yes. Handcrafted, aluminum can, portable, recyclable. Good. Good. That just reminds me. good. That just reminded me as I said that Squidward smells good. Um, I like this a lot, actually. Hmm. All right, terms are like half half of this done. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to... No, no, um, I'm just teasing you. That's actually normally how it goes. We drink half of the beer while trying to come up with words to describe the beer. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to... I was just like, I can't... We get the other half done by like halfway through episode and we have another beer and hang out. Mm-hmm. The thing that's interesting is this is another one where I don't get a ton of the pumpkin flavor. No, I get a lot of the malt. And then spices, which, like, it'll take me a second to discern what kind of spices I'm tasting. Nutmeg. How many times can Lindsay say nutmeg? I'm not going to say nutmeg. I've learned other spices. Does that mean I can say nutmeg? You can say nutmeg. (laughs) It's just Lindsay that can't. But, like, the spices aren't super, like, forefront either. There's something bitter in it that I get, like, as an aftertaste. Probably clove. Mm-hmm. It's a pumpkin spice flavor. Yeah. Oh, I know. I'm just saying, like, I don't know. It could be it. I'm not so good at discerning spices. I do think that the yeast flavor, like, maybe just because I made pizza earlier, but, like, I feel like I can taste the yeastiness on this. Mm -hmm. It is a yeasty one. Yeah. Which is, like, with the combination of malt makes it taste heavier. Yeah. I would say it's got a heavier, like, it feels like a heavy beer, even though it's But really... it's also got, like, a crispness at the yeah. same time, and I think that's maybe from, like... Yeah. It makes it, like, no, it's don't... heavy, but also crushable, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if, like, the crispness is from, like, the water, like, being mountain water, versus, like, from a well, or from, like, city water. City or, like, juice. Yeah. Or, like, uh, you know what I mean, from, like, a ta- water table or anything yeah. like that. I don't know if, like, the origin of this water makes it crispier, or the fact that it's like, this is super cold beer. Mm-hmm. Alright, I mean, let's just pick three words. Um, I'm actually going to say malty. Mm, spicy. <laughs> okay, I mean, you can't use all of the words on the back. <laughs> so you're zero for two. 
<laughs> None of those words count, I guess. <laughs> no, you can pick one word from the back. No, the only thing that we only time we said that is you couldn't pick, cho- pick chocolate or coconut. That was because it literally was the description of yeah, the beer. Yeah, but like, I mean, you're just t- you're telling me the ingredients in the beer. <laughs> you're just no, you're but just, it's you're just reading off the can. I just, no, I don't think it tastes like nutmeg. Um. No, so it does have a... It's really heavy on the malty end. Yeah, no, I would agree. The malties, I think, is an accurate word. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say that it's pretty balanced because you get a little bit of the heavierness from it and, like, from, like, the yeast and yeah. whatnot, whatnot makes it feel heavier to drink. But then it's got, like, a refreshing little bite at the end. Yeah. I'm going to say malty, and then I want to say, like, bready almost, because okay. I think the yeast flavor yeah, and the that's heaviness a good description. of it makes it taste like, bread. it reminds me of bread. Um, like, a, like not even like a... Mother may I have bread. So, you know how, like, pumpkin bread's always, like, kind of cakey, like, yeah. banana bread? I would imagine, doughy. like, not that, though, like yeah. a doughier version of yeah. bread. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, where yeast is actually involved. And then, um, I would say crisp. Yeah. Yeah, there's, like, a... a an interesting crispness, crispness in this. Crispiness. Um, that I don't know where it comes from, but it really balances, like, it comes up to your word balance, it balances out that, like, bready heaviness yeah. from it. Um, I would say earthy with the spices, but also, like, with all the other stuff you guys already said. Um, light, although that's not a flavor, but... No, it's, it's not a flavor. It's a descriptor. It's a flavor. <clears throat> descriptor. Yeah. Like crisp isn't a flavor. That's true. Balanced is not a flavor. Well, bread is a flavor. <laughs> bread is a flavor. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna say bitter because I do like. I feel like the more I drink it, the more the aftertaste is bitter. I actually wonder because like you're tasting bitterness, and I actually kind of wonder if it's because you ate some of the curry I made that has Could a decent be. amount of clove, mm. and it's like playing off of that flavor where it's making it a little bit more pungent yeah. and flavor in your palate because you had like a, de- there's something with like, like a bunch right of It could be that. because it's like when I take a breath afterwards is when I'm getting like the bitterness in yeah. my tongue. But overall, I'd still say it's crushable. Like It's easier to drink than it should be for it being 7.7%. Oh yeah. Uh, Agreed. Well, forgot that 7.7% <laughs> and I'm halfway done. I'm almost halfway done. Yeah, too. Cool. So, um, this Spooktober, we are going to talk about um, a movie that's pretty iconic. Um, it was the 60th anniversary of this film on June 16th, but we're talking about it now because it is very relevant to horror movies beyond 1960. We're talking about Psycho by Alfred Hitchcock. Yes. So, um... Really quick context for a little bit of history on this. So, like we are, we already mentioned, it came out June sixteenth of nineteen sixty. The film was actually based on a book that was written in nineteen fifty nine by Robert Block, which was loosely inspired by the murders committed by Ed Gein. Um, Hitchcock actually acquired the rights to the for the book to make it a film for $9,500 and he had his assistant buy every single copy that they could get their hands on in order to preserve the story. So the book was out and then Hitchcock was like, I need you to go to buy every single for every single copy you can get. How does and that preserve the story though, buying every copy? Because people weren't going to be able to read it. 
Oh, okay. So he's buying it up so people wouldn't know. Correct. The got it. Got it. And then one a really interesting thing that happened is because Hitchcock wanted to make this film so bad and needed a studio backing, he made an agreement with Universal Pictures that rather than accepting the standard director salary, which around that time he would have been making like. I think I read like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That is a lot of money in the sixties. He it is. He agreed for lower pay in exchange for sixty percent stake in the film's negative. So he made way more money than he yeah. would have otherwise because they yeah. had no faith that this film was going to do well. Wow. Um, I read that Alfred Hitchcock was obsessed with the main actress that he cast, Janet Leigh. Yeah, um, and like stalked her. Interesting. I did not know that. And by I read, I mean Matt told me that. Ah, got it. So, could be not true. So, I don't think we need to read a ton, a ton through, like, the entire story. I mean, this if you haven't seen this film, the the context is that a woman goes driving from Phoenix to California. Northern California after stealing money from her boss and decides to stop into the Bates Motel, which is in the middle of nowhere. It's far from the road. She doesn't know how she ended up. She ended up there. And then a string of murders start happening to people that come to the hotel. Yeah. Um, They're very... It just reminds me, when you said that, it reminds me of the song by Better Batter Cookie Batter. The The... Checking into the Bates Motel. Yeah. <laughs> Taking a shower at the Bates shower Motel. Taking the Bates Motel. Um, so we have notes, each yeah. of us, from yeah. our watch-throughs. Yeah, I think we all rewatched it today. Yes. yes. Um, I mean, my first note was, why are they kissing like that in the beginning? So when um, Janet Lee's character is kissing her boyfriend. And Marion and Sam yeah. are kissing. Yeah. Um, they're, like, eating each other's face, and it just made me, like... Like, physically uncomfortable, because I did not... So... I feel like that was a very, like, 60s way of shooting. So what's really... Actually, what's really interesting is that scene specifically was heavily criticized. Really? Because at that time, they had... In a film or on TV, it had never been depicted as two unmarried lovers. That was... Not... Or in the same bed, and especially not in a, like, heavy make-out situation. That was another thing I noticed, is that, like, she's in her bra, and it's kind of implied that they were having sex, and, like, they were having, like, a tryst. Yes. Heavily implied, and I was like, this is the 60s, I feel like, I don't know where I looked at my non-existent watch, this is the (laughs) 60s, um, I didn't think it was kosher for that to be happening, so I was like, I I thought that as well, like, that's... A brave way of showing, like, her, um, floozyness, I guess. Like, her, like... They're heavily demonstrating the fact that she is an unmarried woman. Right. Yeah. Um, and that she would do anything to marry him. Yeah. Um, which is the plot of the... Yeah. Her part of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, and I also... It's interesting because... I feel like it's heavily implied, like, all that in the beginning, but then as you go on, like, it, there's zero gore, there's zero mm-hmm. depiction of the actual, like, stabbings or murderings or anything. Like, it's all implied, and I'm wondering, like, was that not acceptable at the time, At the too? time, that was actually considered, that was one of the other things, the depiction of blood 
specifically in the shower scene and in just in the other scenes as well too the shower scenes specifically R rating um it is rated R now at the time it was rated M for mature for mature which actually was only equivalent i was reading to today's PG, PG. Wow. and they made it an R when they redid the ratings but the reason it was looked on so heavily is they were saying even like the stabbing sequences are like too graphic and the use of blood which actually because the film was in black and white, they used chocolate syrup. Yeah. So that it would stand out in the right. black and white better. Um, Which is said, actually interesting because red and blue are the most contrasting in, like, colors for black and white. Yeah. I don't know. Looks good, though. Yeah. it's. Uh, I, I just thought it was interesting. that I didn't realize... Because when you start watching horror movies from the 70s, that's when, like, slasher generation starts, yeah. I yep. feel like. And so the gore is mm-hmm. insane. So I'm wondering, like, when in the 60s or 70s did that cutoff point? Because, like, you would just see the knife and then their body so, and then just, like, a reaction the, in this movie. The big thing in the shower scene is they, at the time, Hitchcock had said, in none of the shots did this, does the knife actually touch her. But then someone did, like, a frame-by-frame frame and in one, there's one shot where it like grazes her abdomen i mean it doesn't bleed or anything yeah. but the knife does physically touch her wow and i found that super interesting yeah um so this was shot in black and white mm-hmm. and i cannot i haven't watched really any 60s movies other than alfred hitchcock's movies were movies back then generally in black and white or they were a mix of both but okay. i think he intentionally kept this one black and white because okay. it added to the drama especially yeah, no, lower budget did. films yeah i feel like this was color a super was, low budget. Yeah, yeah. colors, yeah. especially in the 60s, I don't know for sure, but I would assume color was a lot more expensive to produce. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I feel like the black and white makes it, oh, like, absolutely. it creeps me out more. Yeah. And it's, it makes it harder to see things, so I feel like I'm trying to focus more and well, something startle that me more. and, like, the graininess of it, because it's an older movie, too, yeah. that makes it harder to see, and it's it gives you this, like uncomfortable edge because it's not where you what you're used to yeah yeah so like if when you're when you rewatch it and when you watch it for the first time in general like because you're not used to this quality and this style it puts you on edge because you kind of don't know what to expect it like yeah. throws yeah. all your comfort out the door yeah. yeah one thing i think that's really interesting too and this was my first note was that the film score for this is absolutely incredible from like the Amazing. second the credits start you are in it um, and I was doing some digging. So Bernard Herman, who did the score for this, famously has worked with Orson Welles and Alfred Hitchcock. And he also is famous because he did the theme to The Twilight Zone. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I noticed that, too. And it's interesting because I feel like a lot of horror movies now, or, like, even starting in the 70s and 80s, like, there was, like, a balance between, like, calm music in the background mm-hmm. and then intense music. And there was no calm music in this movie. Oh, no. Like, all, it was all intense thing and sharp. Crazy. And I like, think that that's, like, an Alfred Hitchcock um, yeah. ch- choice because in Birds it's similar where it's, like, intense well, the entire time. Bernard Herrmann has worked primarily yeah. with Alfred Hitchcock. So, yeah, yeah, so I think that's, like, a choice for yeah. his movies. Um, because, like, again, it doesn't give you any comfort. Like, that's yeah. the big thing no. about horror movies is that... The way to truly scare someone, and we've seen a few horror movies like this, where, like, that you build up through music and through, like, imagery until there's a point where, like, you get a scare, like a jump scare or, like, a natural scare. Yeah. And it releases that tension. Yeah. But when you're, you have this discomfort from, um, like, the imagery being black and white or being grainy mm-hmm. and this music mm-hmm. building up the entire time and being intense, there's never really that, like, 
full release where like you can like feel less on edge. Yeah. Um, and I feel like this movie, like the reason that it plays so well to people's fear and like it, it is kind of like timeless is because it has that effect where yeah. like, yeah. even if you've seen it a bunch of times, it's still like plays on oh that yeah i was tension. watching it even today and i've seen it a hundred times and like i still was like feeling tense watching it. Yeah. right and it's not a scary movie no but it still makes you feel like tense and i think it has to do with the cinematography too because like if you notice during the during like uh like the scenes it'll be one long film or like i don't i don't know what the terminology He'll do like is. a severe long shot and then go into a bunch of jump cuts yeah, so and it's so very, it's like, like you're anticipating it, and then nothing will happen, and then it gets to like really overwhelming. Yeah. And then he also like I feel like when they're focusing on a character, it's zoomed in way more he than would be comfortable. Yeah, and so that causes a lot of discomfort too. Yeah. At least it did for me. No, I would agree. And like you made a good point with talking about how they have long zoomed out, like mm-hmm. long extended long shots, shots, and then yeah. like really quick pace shots. And the quick pace shots typically. Um, like, they get you on edge because, like, you don't have a second to relax in yeah. them. Whereas, like, a long shot will let you relax and cool down. And then when they jump into quick shots, you don't get to relax. You're constantly on edge and you're, like, watching, watching, yeah. watching. So I was doing some research specifically on the super famous shower scene in this. Thinking of, like, the, the way things are cut and edited. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reason that the shower scene is so unique is that it uses 77 different camera angles. There are 50 different cuts, and it's a three-minute sequence. Wow, I didn't even know that. Mm -hmm. I have another thing about the shower scene. So they used close-up jump cuts, and the entire premise, and Alfred Hitchcock has said, it's meant to transfer the menace from the screen into the mind of the audience. And originally, the scene was not supposed to have any music, but then Bernard Herrmann was like, no, you should really try using this. And then Hitchcock liked it so much, he doubled Herman's salary. Um, another interesting thing about the scene, and this is actually about the actress uh, Janet Lee, uh, is that she, after this movie, has de- or developed a phobia of taking showers. Um, because she was in the shower for a week. Right. Um, so she, if she ever has, like, whenever she takes a bath, like, whenever she every day she takes a bath and won't take a shower and if she's ever somewhere that like she has to take a shower where it's like a hotel and they don't have a bathtub she locks every window and every door and then will take a shower interesting because she's developed like an insane phobia of like that happening to her wow i was reading that they it took, because obviously there's so many different camera angles it literally took a full week yep. of filming for them to get that three minute sequence yeah, she was in the and shower janet was in the shower the entire time yeah oh. Yeah, I mean, she's being, like, killed in the yeah. shower. Yeah. Um, and then another fun fact about Janet Lee, um, and we've done an episode on her daughter, or sort of about her daughter, but she's the mother of the first Scream, uh, scream Queen. Yeah, Janet uh, Jamie Lee's Lee. Jamie Lee Curtis's mother. Wow, I did not make that connection. Yeah. Yep. Which is cool. Yeah. So, I also... Right after that scene, when he is, like, cleaning up and then putting the car into the pond, I couldn't stop thinking of the swamp. Yeah. yeah. But it is clearly, like, um... <laughs> Where you would just, like, no expect Shrek. Shrek to pop out. Like, get no. out of my swamp. But what are you doing? It looks swamp. so small and so man-made. And the entire time I was just like, 
How, even if that does sink all the way, how does it sink so low that no one sees the car in there? Um, because you can see the full thing. Like suspension the of disbelief. That I know that. And but like swamps are so muddy that like the idea is that like it'll like be swallowed into the mud too. Yeah. And like, get buried. Yeah. It's a good point. Or like an alligator comes and just goes like chop chop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what it's like in the Everglades. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I thought was really cool with the storyline of this though, and we kind of touched on the like marriage thing at the beginning. So like in the entire beginning of the film, there's so much conversation about marriage, whether it's how Marion wants to get married, how that guy that's working with Marion's boss, his daughter's getting married. Yeah. And then uh, Marion's co-workers talking about her wedding day. Yeah. And I think it's a really interesting parallel because obviously, it, this is obviously before you realize that Norman is, you know, multiple pers- has multiple personalities, but it's like very much like a, almost a similar type of reflection of the relationship that Norman has with his mother, or that you think he has with his mother, where he's like way too obsessively like mm-hmm. caring for his mother, and he's never had like it's very obvious he's never been around right. people, and they, they were saying at the end of the film that. Um, like, the reason that the mother came out was because he was sexually aroused by Janet. And his had he had been so repressed toy with those kinds of feelings that the mother, like, comes through mm-hmm. when she's up. And he's has upset. to remove her from yes. the situation yeah. to protect him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought it was funny at the beginning. It's still in that first scene where he's just like, I'll do anything to be with you. Like, just, like, going on about it. And she's like, let's get married. And he's like, uh, but well, do you don't want me. And he's, like, just completely pieces out. I'm like, ugh, typical man. Well, not even that, but, like, she doesn't realize that she's being taken advantage of. Yeah. Um, and, like, it like, kind of... Um, it's easy to see looking at it, but then, like, also being, like... You can put yourself in that situation where, like, you could totally get, like, where she doesn't understand it. Would not steal $40,000 no. to be with somebody. But, mm-hmm. um, it, yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, typical man to say, like, we could be together, but here are all these things in our way. And then if you ever clear the, that path, here are other things in the way. Yeah. Which, like, it sucks and it's hard to realize that, like, she does all of this. Janet, um, Marion does all of this. To be with him, um, and knowing that, like, even if she did succeed, that wouldn't be the case. But, and then at the same time, too, he, he can't even let her go because she's suggesting, like, I wish you wouldn't even come on these trips where I only get to see you during this amount of time Mm -hmm. because it hurts me. And then he seduces her again and, like, he just won't let it go. I, I, it was just, I was like, wow, what a way to start a movie. I just want to say something about that. Oh, Um, so, like, that kind, she's kind of feeling, like, the emotional, like, weight of that, I think, Mm -hmm. a little bit, when she's in the car, specifically, and hears, like, the things playing out in her head, especially when she, like, shows up at his place, and, like, in her head, she's hearing the conversation. I think that's kind of the emotional weight of, like, oh, like, what are you doing here? Right. Is it really worth it? Yeah. And, like, what's the reason that this hasn't happened? Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, there was a part, like, one of the things that she said that, like, stuck with me. Um, and it was when one of the guys, I think it was the guy that dropped the money off, was like, I, she better have every cent of that, and if not, I'll take it from her skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, like, super creepy, and that, like, stuck with me. 
That's when she's in... She's the in the, no, she's in the car driving. Oh, okay. And he talks... Like, she's just hearing all of the conversations yeah, yeah. in her head. Um, and one of the guy, like, one of the men's voices. That's the, that's the guy that yeah. Gabe was, like, making the deal with her boss. Right. Um, and, like, hearing him say, like, I'll take it from her skin. Her, like, sweet little skin or something like that. It's like, ugh. Yeah, that's kind of gross. That was one of the grosser parts. Yeah. I feel like, I didn't like that character at all. He like, as soon a, as he walked in. He has a line where he says... Ah, oh, shit, I deleted it. Um, oh, um, he like, whips out the $40,000 and Marion's co-worker says, I declare. He's like, I don't. That's how I keep it. And I was like, Republicans. <laughs> yes. I was like, Trump. <laughs> um, yeah, I saw that too. And then it's funny because, and then he keeps talking about buying happiness. And then oh, yeah. when they leave the room... And she's talking about being sick, and her coworker's just like, "Oh, like, why don't you take a pill? It'll knock that right out, that headache right out." And she's just like, "Oh, pills won't buy happy, won't buy me happiness. So I'll just go home and take a nap." And I was like, "Oh, honey, pills will buy you <laughs> pills happiness. Pills will buy your happiness." <laughs> uh, One of the things I thought was really cool about the depiction, but yeah, I feel like we haven't even talked about Norman Bates at all. No. Um, one of the things I think is the that's the coolest about this character is that we as the audience have so much sympathy for him. Mm-hmm. Like you genuinely believe that he's trying to cover for his insane mother and he's like scared by it and he just doesn't know what to do. And he's literally just trying to take care of his mother and he's scared. Well, isn't there the argument that he is scared? Yeah. And it's oh, like he has a multiple personality. So, right. there's a so personality when he is Norman, is he is scared. Yeah. Right, right, but we have so much sympathy for him as, as a character. Norman, yeah. yeah. I mean, just in general. Yeah. It's like, we're watching him, and he's, like, horrified by it, and he's just trying to cover up yeah. for his mother, and you just feel so sympathetic for him. And I feel like there's not a ton of that anymore where you feel, like, sympathy for the villain. I honestly feel like a big part of that, and I might be wrong, but it's because he's very attractive, and a lot of times now I feel like they they present criminals or, like, the... The villain. The mm-hmm. villain as not an attractive person mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. a lot of movies these days. But one of the first notes when he came on screen, I was like, wow, he's attractive. I would say, like, modern <laughs> movies are like that. I think, like, movies from the 70s and 80s still have a level of sympathy that you might feel for yeah. the villain. Yeah. Um, but, again, that's always, like, an attractive villain yeah. that you feel sympathy well, for. Well, the entire reason that they chose, like, a more attractive man was because the entire novel was based off of how Ed Gein would lure people to his home. Yeah. I mean, very loosely, but that's, like, the concept is that he's a man that would, like, kill people. Like, Get people, yeah. yeah. Do we know what age he's depicting in the film? Because I I don't actually know. I don't think it's been established. Okay. But he can't be that old because in he in Psycho two, it's twenty two years later. Okay. And he's getting out of prison. I did. I saw him as like an older teenager, like someone in in my head. I thought he was like maybe a little bit younger than us. Yeah, Yeah. early twenties. Yeah, I could see either way, but I I mean, definitely... Anthony Perkins was definitely older than that, but I right. think as a character, he was, uh, like, de- meant to be a little bit... He's definitely supposed to be... He I seems like he was almost. the same age as Marion, because she's got to be pretty young. Yeah. I think... 
like visually he looked a lot younger than mm-hmm. her which is why i thought her confidence around him made him seem more like naive well, and you have to remember immature. her sexual confidence definitely like shows itself in comparison yeah to that's true repressed. and i feel like that's intentional too. Yeah, oh absolutely anthony perkins is an incredible actor in this yeah. movie um Okay, one of the other things I noticed, too, was, like, sim- and I think I noticed it because Hitchcock does so many of those uncomfortably zoomed-in shots mm-hmm. on people's faces, but like a typical, like, psychopath, he, like, doesn't have true emotions, I feel like, all the time, and so he'll, like, present, like, when he's in, when they're in the back parlor and he's talking to Marion, he'll, like not show the emotion that he should be and then he'll like you can see that he thinks about it and then he'll smile because he's like oh a normal person would be smiling so i should smile to make her feel i almost got the vibe in that scene that he was on the autism spectrum like that's the vibe he gave off i didn't get this i mean obviously we know he's a psychopath Mm -hmm. but at that time i remember when i first saw it i thought he was on the spectrum because that's like a very common thing of like not real like speaking and like you should have an emotion to your voice and like it comes yeah. later mm-hmm. that's the vibe i got until he like takes the thing off the wall and looks at her getting undressed i was mm-hmm. like okay this guy's creepy now yeah yeah i just thought he was like odd and uncomfortable yeah 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 i just thought it was really creepy because they, they would zoom in on his face and he would like be like so deep in his mind and like you could tell something messed up was going well, on and then was... he'd be like oh let me smile real quick yeah. <laughs> i almost wonder if like when he's deep in his mind like that and they show those scenes was he fighting like a dissociation between the character like between his personalities i think so because um, you can tell right. you can see in his face like when it switches that and that he's like fighting it and then it switches to his mom and then a yeah. lot of those kinds of things I was reading were, like, improvised by him. Especially, like, some of the tics he has where he's constantly, like, eating candy. What is he eating? Candy corn. Oh. Awful choice. I know. Like, <laughs> yeah, choice, that was right? his That was his decision. So, Janet Lee and um, Anthony Perkins both kind of were given free reign to kind of play within their character as long as they didn't move within the shot. Because mm-hmm. Alfred Hitchcock was so precise about mm-hmm. like where things were being set up to film, as long as they didn't move within the shot significantly, they could kind of do whatever they wanted and play it however they wanted. Yeah, they they could create these like yeah. stories themselves, yes. or, like these yeah. um like personalities. Yeah, yeah. He did have some really weird angles that I noticed too, like when the detective comes and is looking at the registry and like points out her alias and Norman like leans over to see it the angle is from under his chin sideways and it just like it's super zoomed in oh it just looks so unnatural and creepy yeah i mean that's the point yeah Yeah. i mean it works that's awesome but yeah yeah Yeah, i mean i think it would be really interesting to talk about like alfred hitchcock on his own at some point because like as a director he finds like ways to make things scary like birds is a scary movie but birds are scary because they're not real. Well, well, at this time, they would have been real. They would have been real. Um, but, like, things like that. Like, he just finds ways of making, like, stories that aren't necessarily scary. Like, not, and they, Rear Window is not particularly scary. Right. But, but, like, Psycho is a scary... It's it's scary, but the way he... The actual content isn't that scary. It's the way that he presents it to the audience that yeah. makes it yeah. scary. 
Um, because he doesn't do gore, he doesn't do jump scares. Like, yeah. He doesn't do any of the things that a traditional, traditional. horror, like, well, he's more innovative with. Well, right. what's really interesting is, up until Psycho, Psycho was considered to be, like, what we would think of, like, a modern day horror mm-hmm. when it came out. Because yeah. prior to that, the only really horror movies were all about, like, traditional gothic monsters. Yeah. Or, like, a space alien. Like Nosferatu. Nosferatu, the creature from the Black Lagoon, invaded, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, yeah. or, like, zombies, which are not... Or, like, vampires and yeah. things right. like, like that. traditional, like, creep, like, monsters. Yeah, like, monster exactly. Horror. Yeah. And this was the first time that it was really depicted in a film where, like, the monster is inside a regular person. Yeah. And it's, like, within his own head. Yeah. It's, like, the first time that you see, like, a killer. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, an actual killer. And it's probably scary for the audience, too, because you trust him at first and you yeah. sympathize yeah. with him. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, he's He's That's awful. actually a really interesting point. Like, imagine being in the audience watching this in the 60s and, like, seeing her get murdered in a bathroom. Like, I understand that she had that, like, irrational fear, but, like, imagine how many people saw that for the first time, like, oh, not yeah. being exposed to, like, horrors yeah. with humans as the murderers and, like, as the villains. Um, and, like, being terrified of showering. Oh, being yeah. terrified of going to a motel and traveling. Oh, I, I, I don't doubt that whatsoever. After watching yeah. This. Yes. <laughs> no, that's one of the things that's really crazy to think about is, like, we see so many scary movies. I mean, especially the three of us. Like, we watch mm-hmm. scary movies almost every day now. It's, like, it's October. That's yeah. what we do. But, um, like, at the time when this would have come out, it would have completely changed the game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can just imagine it being super horrifying. And, like, making people realize, like, oh, gosh, like, the person next to me or, like, the random person I trust or smiles at me could be so terrible and, like, could be a monster. One of the really interesting things about the release of this film is that neither Anthony Perkins or Janet Lee was allowed to do any um, interviews. Yep. And Hitchcock did all of the promotion himself. He wrote in, like, put together the trailers. Was that because it wasn't, pre- I mean, obviously it wasn't presented as, like, a documentary, but was that to, like, further heighten the fear that like, they had actually died? No, it wasn't meant to do with anything of them actually dying. It was meant to be, like, to keep the secrets and like just mm. pretty much just to say he's Alfred Hitchcock's psycho and yeah. that's all people knew about it. They had trailers that showed and I actually read it's because Janet Lee was done filming. They had a different woman in a blonde wig behind the psycho banner I've seen screaming that. in the shower. I feel like I've seen that. So before. it just it literally just showed like some like some of the scary stuff and like that was really it. Yeah. And um, they did, but the other thing too was no film critics were allowed to see the film until the general public did. Interesting. And they also had a very strict no late admission policy for the film, which was unheard of at the time. But Alfred Hitchcock, being the control freak that he was, believed if you missed the beginning, you would not fully understand Janet Lee's character. And you yeah. wouldn't understand Marion and her struggle and like what it actually means for the rest of the film. Yeah. So it had a really unique rollout. Right. It was like the... Cannibal Holocaust? No, no. I was going to say it's like the first time around that like a director has these weird quirks and like people... Like the one of the first directors to like set the stage for directors being allowed yeah. to have like weird quirks and be yeah. like crazy. Yeah. And being notable in that yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah, it was... Very unique film. 
There was a ton. I mean, beyond what we've already talked about, there was actually quite a few other like really controversial things around this film. One of the things I didn't realize, and it was due, it was a similar like production code standard to the um, Marion and Sam being in the same bed. There had never been a flushing toilet in a film. Really? Even the fact that all she was flushing was paper, that had never been done before. So that was like super taboo. They're like, oh, the toilet's flushing. Like it was. God forbid. Exactly. A like, woman? <laughs> flushing a toilet? <laughs> um, one of the other things that was really. Um, talked about at the time and it was because Anthony Perkins was believed to have been a closeted homosexual was that um, like the cross-dressing Norman Bates aspect of it was like really like ooh like this is a no-no yeah yeah Yeah. also um, Alfred Hitchcock had previously I was reading had done a film called Rope which is based off of a play about two gay men like committing murders together mm-hmm. and then in the film version they cut out the fact that they were actually gay because that was not allowed in the film industry right. you couldn't do that but in the theater it was fine yeah so they like had it heavily implied that they were gay so like it was very like oh now you have the gays in the movies and now you're having a cross-dressing man this movie is going to turn people gay <laughs> turn the freaking cross gay <laughs> But it was, be- they even made a comment at the end of the film with like the psychiatrist where the one guy's like, oh, he's a transvestite. And he's like, well, no, he is yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. I, I, the one thing, no, not the one thing. One of the things <laughs> I really appreciated about the film is that, so a lot of horror films nowadays leave you like guessing, like it's yeah. all conspiracy or wondering yeah. like, what did these things mean? But the the psychologist at the end of literally the movie explains literally explains the entire backstory and w- why what, and like what it means. debunks all their theories and yeah. stuff and so it doesn't really leave me with any questions. But right, that's like it's a fulfilling film. Yeah, like it tells you everything. <laughs> so I just read a really interesting um, fact, uh, and it's that Alfred Hitchcock kept. Um, Gently on her toes by hiding the mom's mummy. I did read that. Places to scare her. There was a lot of, like, hijinks behind the scenes, I feel like, yeah. to keep people, like... On the edge. Yeah. It worked, though. I feel like all of yeah. them had, like, very yeah. genuine reactions to things. Yeah. Um, every time I watch this movie, I always think that when... Um, what's the sister's name? Lila? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When Lila taps the, the mother on the shoulder and it turns it's gonna around. It's going to be way faster. It's going to be faster and it's going to be scarier. And yeah. then I, like, I always remember it being scarier and then I see it and I'm like, oh, that's a very, like... Lackluster. Lackluster. Well, the part, cliche, that, makes, the part like, of that scene that's, that's scary is when she turns around because she's scared of the corpse and, and it hits the light and that's when she, it's like it becomes scary. Yeah. But until then, like, I always Also the pose of be, Norman, like... Yeah. It's like one of my favorite things ever. I also think it's interesting. I noticed when, um, when, um, what's the guy's name? Marion's lover. Sam. Sam. When Sam comes down to like help Lila and he's restraining Norman, Norman starts like making the face that his mom's corpse is making. Like he's like smiling and looking at her and then it zooms in on her face. Yeah. Like. Just the teeth. I was like, gosh, that's creepy. Yeah. Like, he's really trying to become her. 
Um, I also read that, and so in the first scene with uh, Marion, she's wearing a white bra, mm-hmm. and then later she's wearing a, a black, black bra, bra. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's meant to symbolize like her, her being innocent in the beginning, and then after she steals the money, she's wearing black because she isn't innocent. And then I also just read um, that they mimic the sound, so as you mentioned, like, they don't touch her at any point during the stabbing. Mm-hmm. They mimic the sound of the knife going through flesh by stabbing a melon. They wow. just kept stabbing a melon repeatedly, yeah. and that's the sound. Which is not that exciting, but it's it's interesting in the long yeah. run. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like this film didn't actually have a lot of, like, the typical sound effects, because anytime there's anything... It's the music. Yeah, it's the music that had that, like, sharp, piercing noise to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Did you guys have a favorite scene overall, or, like, a favorite phrase or something? Like, what was your one of... Or, like, the worst scene, or... Uh, asking a bunch of things. I know. Ones. Like, what should we discuss? Um, I think <laughs> one of the most interesting scenes is specifically, like, the very, very end, where Norman is, like, wearing the blanket at the, mm-hmm. at the police officers, or the... The... The, 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 the police station. Yeah. That, I don't know why I couldn't say that. <laughs> um, where it's the mother's, like, dialogue. What was really interesting, I was reading, they had three different women voice the mother throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Because obviously you never really actually see her yeah. speaking. Interesting. I didn't notice that there were three different women voices. I didn't either, but I, that's what I read. Um, but then the one that's credited as the mother is the one that gives the monologue at the end. Mm-hmm. I think that entire sequence is really like unnerving. Because you're just like, Norma's not blinking. You're just like staring at him the entire time. Ugh. And it's zooming in on his face. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then he smiles yeah. again. It's super creepy. Yes, yeah, similarly, I thought the most one of the more interesting things was when the detective... Or the psychiatrist is, like, talking about his whole backstory and he's saying, like, he's gonna, like, he's stuck in the the mother persona mm-hmm. and he's gonna stay there. Like, I thought that was, like, I just couldn't wrap my head around that. Like, he's just stuck and, like, he's not yeah. his own person now. He's stuck in mm-hmm. this, like, yeah. character of his mother. So what's really interesting is I have a couple notes about the rest of the Psycho franchise. I was going to ask about that because I know that there is like Bates Motel, yeah. Psycho, like what, two, three, four. I've only yeah. ever seen one and I haven't seen Bates Motel, so, so I was going to ask about yeah, that. Yeah, so I... And how that plays in. I was actually... The only reason I actually even knew that these films existed was because I was watching a documentary on horror movies from the 80s. So I haven't actually seen the other psycho movies beyond just like an overview of what they're about and kind of like some of the backstory behind them. So psycho two, and it's really, it's interesting because, um, Robert Block actually wrote a novel sequel to psycho and this psycho film has nothing to do with that. Okay. So it's like two different worlds at that point, almost it's George R. R. Martin style, Got it. <laughs> two different worlds. Um, So, essentially what happens in the second film is Norman is released from prison, and he's back to a normal person, he's completed all of his therapy, and society around him is constantly reminding him that he is this crazy person, and like everyone knows who he is because he was this man that was arrested because he was dressing as his mother and killing people, and he starts to kind of, like, go crazy again. And, like, once he gets back to the motel and, like, people are, like, constantly reminding him that he is the psycho person, mm-hmm. no matter what he does. And it kind of, like, leads him back into, you know, some of, like, the craziness. But, honestly, I don't 
I didn't see a need for them to continue the franchise. I, I really think that this was an attempt to capitalize the legacy of Psycho as the first slasher film yeah. during the slasher horror time period. And then cool. Psycho 3, actually, interestingly enough, was directed by Anthony Perkins. So Anthony Perkins plays Norman Bates in all three movies. Does he really? He does. I was and just going to ask that. He directed the third film himself. Wow. So the third one is Norman coming to terms with everything that's happened to him. And it all it, a lot of it is flashbacks through Norman is calling into the radio and he's telling these stories, and they kind of come in, like, out-of-order sequences as he's telling the story. I read his own son is plays Norman, it, it, the younger version of Norman, in those flashbacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. So, um, this one is more depicted as, like, a slasher-type movie, but this was also, I think, came out in, like, 86. So that's, like, peak slasher years mm-hmm. for horror. Mm-hmm. Um, they This was meant to be, like the end of the franchise or no wait i'm completely backwards that's psycho 4 i'm sorry psycho 3 is the one that is um more of like a slasher film and it's just norman coming to terms with what happened to him as he's like killing people because he's crazy because at the end of the second one he's back to being like crazy Mm -hmm. and then before psycho 4 came out they released a film called bates motel And it's about a boy that spends time with Norman while in the insane asylum. And then um, Norman dies and leaves this boy the hotel. And the hotel is haunted by Mrs. Bates. And then they did Cycle 4 at the beginning, which is when Norman is retelling what happened to him over the radio program. And saying he's afraid, he's so afraid, he can't control himself. He thinks he's going to kill his wife, who's pregnant with his child. Like... So that's pretty much the fourth one. And then the fourth one, it ends with, like, him actually being free of the mother. Okay. And then they actually did a remake in 1998 that I will not watch because Vince Vaughn plays Norman Bates. No, I did not know that. Yeah, that sounds bad, right? That does sound bad. I haven't seen any of the sequels or any, like, spin-off I think Psycho 2 is on Shudder. Is it? Yeah. I haven't because I feel like it's gonna disappoint me. I've heard that people actually really liked... They liked the way that they told a different story about Norman Bates. It's not, you don't necessarily like, it doesn't necessarily like infringe upon what Hitchcock did. Mm -hmm. It's a very different story 22 years later. Got it. So like, I think the rest of the storyline is a little bit separated enough. So people have been willing to say like, yeah, we can accept both. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I have heard that people like Psycho 3 more than Psycho 2. Okay. As like a horror film, because it's more of like a slasher. Okay, I was going to say, it's probably cool. But then, so Vince Vaughn was Norman Bates in the remake. I know nothing about it beyond the fact that Vince Vaughn plays Norman Bates, and that's when I stopped reading. <laughs> um, and then they did the Bates Motel TV show while I would have been in college, so 20... 20- that old? I was in college when it started. I didn't realize that the Bates Motel TV show was that old, to be honest. I think it started in 2013, something Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, Um, I realized it was The entire concept is that it's a reimagining of the original story, but it's based in the 2010s. And it's five seasons that tell the story of how Norman was driven to become a killer by his mother. Mm Mm-hmm. That show was actually pretty good. I never finished it, but it was good when I watched it. I used to watch it when it aired live. I've never watched it. I saw a couple episodes, but I like the actor, Freddie, um, 
the the main actor who plays Norman. I can't remember the his kid. Name. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I, I know this. It's Freddie. Freddie Highmore. He was in. Yeah, it's Freddie. Yeah, Highmore. Freddie Moore. Yeah, I really like him as an actor, which is what drew me to it. Because again, see, I, I like, like the woman that plays his mother. She's like super she's, famous for horror movies. Yes, and she's fantastic as well. Yeah. Um, it's something that I definitely want to watch. I just yeah. haven't gotten around. Yeah, to uh, 2013 to 2017. So, yeah. I think that one of the things that's really cool talking about this, especially, which is why we waited to do this until October, is because this, whether or not it was intended, this has become, like, such a influence on the future of horror. Yeah. The horror that... I mean, the horror that we know today, I mean, but it's heavily, like, late 70s, early 80s mm. horror. Like, John Carpenter has said before that 100% Michael Myers was inspired by Norman Bates. Oh, absolutely. He's running around with a fucking knife yeah, the same way. Yeah, doing the like, same, yeah. Yeah. Some of the other influences I had said that I thought this had, and I just, like, was thinking through this as I was watching, um... I mean, I think one of the biggest ones, like I said, is uh, the casting of Jamie Lee Curtis in mm, Halloween, yeah. uh, which obviously we said Michael Myers is inspired by some of his mannerisms. I feel like I've seen other movies, and like I think that Norman Bates is um, like taking on his mom's personality is like a natural. There's like a name for, it, and I can't remember what it is, but I've definitely seen like other horror movies where similar plots happen, yeah. where like. By similar plots, I mean, like, similar twists, where, oh, like, yeah. the character's, like, dead friend, ha- like, has a dead friend, and then, like, you don't know that they're dead, and you just hear about them, but it turns out, like, they're actually that person. Yeah. And, like... I mean, Fight I, Club uses that same concept. Yeah. I mean, there are similar concepts to yeah. that, um, that have been taken from that movie. One that I thought was interesting is, um, I th- obviously, the use of the score to convey the drama in the mm-hmm. way that it was hadn't really been done yeah. until this time. And if you think about it, like, Jaws came out not super long after, and that's another one where it's mm-hmm. very similar use of the music to convey the drama yep. and the horror of it all. The horror of it all. <laughs> The shade of it all. shade of it all. Um, I said, and I left it as a question mark, um, not really seeing who has been doing the killing until the end and, like, letting the characters put, rather than, and in a lot of horror we see, like, the killer doing the killing and it's not a question of, like, who is killing people. It's like, oh, we see this person. It's the question of who is behind who the is mask. Who is behind, yeah, not yeah. even who is behind the mask, but who is the one actually doing the killing. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, like, I feel like the premise of a lot of horror movies is, like, who is the killer? Like, you see the killer doing it, but you don't know who Who that that is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I know it's a little bit later than all of, there's others before this, but I think Scream is a really good example of that exact. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing that popped up. favorite. That's the first thing that popped into my head. And I know there's others that have done it, but Mm -hmm. that one just made me think about it. No, that's a good point. Um, And I think you're right, like, with this being one of the first ones where it's, like, it's almost like a whodunit. Yeah. Um... And you don't, like, you know that this person's killing them, but who is this person? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the last one I said is, this was, I mean, we already mentioned, this was really the first time that a person, like a normal human being, was the slasher. Yep. The air quotes, slasher. Because this is not a slasher movie, but. The slash, hash slinging slasher. <laughs> the hash slinging, the slash The slash slinging. 
Yeah, I mean, this movie really set up whether, like I said, whether or not it was intended to become a model for the future of horror as we know it, it it's it what is. it became. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Hitchcock did this movie, maybe not for like the horror aspect of it, but for it to be a statement piece and to mean something yeah. like, historically. Um, I think maybe he like wouldn't have been able to anticipate like how much or how heavily it's influenced um, modern day slashers and modern day horror, or not even modern day, but like horror from that moment on. Um, but I mean, I would think that like that was somewhat his intention is to make you uncomfortable, and mm-hmm. obviously, people that were uncomfortable by it were like, "Oh, this is a great idea. Let's follow suit and keep doing this." Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's too bad because I feel like almost every horror movie trope nowadays comes like originates from his ideas, and in, in a lot of his films, some of them, yeah, uh, or like some of the staple ones that you see throughout the seventies and eighties that have made their way to the two thousands. I feel like came from yeah, his I mean, original idea, and people don't even realize one. it. I think this is probably the first time that like, well, maybe not the first time, but like the trope of like being. Um, Sexually promiscuous yeah. or any kind of sex outside yeah. of marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of being like virtuous. Um, yeah. The last girl trope hasn't come in yet, but no, that's an, that's a starts in seventy eight yeah. Halloween. Um, but yeah, no, I would agree with you. A lot of the tropes, and then as time develops, like more of them come in, mm-hmm. and people don't even realize. Yeah, for sure. I really want to read the book. I do too, but I'm almost afraid it's gonna be one of those things that I'm not gonna like. Nearly well, I wrote as the much book as... is actually like super different. Yeah. Um, so I was reading that one of the big um, pieces that the screenwriter brought to this was making Marion such a big character mm-hmm. in the movie. When in Psycho, she's only in like the book, she's only in two chapters of it. Mm. Wow. Um, and she's murdered in like a completely different way. Hmm. Like, instead of being stabbed to death, she's beheaded. Um, so it's, I've read that, like, there's a lot of liberties taken in the interpretation yeah. of the book, which is probably why he, like, tried to buy up as many as possible, too, like, yeah. and changed enough about it. Um, but yeah, I've read that there's a lot of liberties taken that, um... Well, some of those things, like, I don't think they could have done in a movie. Like, yeah. They, they sure. weren't going to be able to behead her and get no. away with the showing it. No, no. But, I mean, making her such a small character, or such a big character, yeah. is one of them. Yeah. Um, heavily focuses a lot more on, like, Norman Bates in the book, from mm-hmm. what I've read. Um, I mean, I, I think it's probably going to be one of those things where, like, you can enjoy it because it's separate. Yeah. As I think that's fair. like, two, three, and four. I'd just be curious as to, like, the point of view that it's written from. Yeah. And what it goes, what details it goes into. Like, if it goes into more of his backstory or, like, has more of his, like, mental, yeah. like, thought process. Internal turmoil. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to read that, so. Yeah, it's I think it just depends on, on like, whose point of view it's read from. Yeah. Which or it's I don't told know. from, and I don't know, yeah. Cool. Is there anything else you guys want to cover before we wrap up? I don't think so. I think that's it. I do have to say the detective scene of him getting murdered is terrible. It's so satisfying, though. That guy's such a dude. Oh, I wanted him to die the whole time. But, like, it's stabbed, and then it's a delayed, like, very heavily delayed, (laughs) like, splash. 
of blood, and then his reaction is even more delayed, and then it's a really bad, like, montage of him just moving his hand in the background, like, showing that he's falling, but, like, not Uh rolling. He's just falling straight back down the staircase. I'm like, okay, but satisfyingly bad. (laughs) All right, well, I think that covers it for this episode. Yeah. Agreed. I love this movie. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming on, talking with us about it. Yeah, thanks for, on. thanks for the uh, Funko Pop that you got me that I have on my work desk with the bloody knife and Norman Bates dressed as his mom. It scares all the people I don't want at nice. work away from me. Too bad you can't. Uh, you're not at work. <laughs> no, but I did pick it up from work, and now oh, okay. it's at my desk at home. Nice. So, <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, no final thoughts this episode. We'll do them next episode. We'll have one for you. We just weren't prepared today (laughs) so as always listen through the song to hear our plugs and um rate review yeah if you like us which we hope you did please go on your favorite podcast streaming service and give us a five-star review and leave us a comment if you leave us a comment we will read it on the episode none of you have left us a comment so we're not going to read any I feel like we got to stop ranting at some point about it but i'm not going to stop ranting about it it's not today thanks guys bye That was the episode. So we love hearing from you. Um, and if you want to contact us, you can do so through our email address. It is drunkanduncultured at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook at Drunk and Uncultured Podcast. Our Instagram is Drunk and Uncultured. And our Twitter is Drunk Uncultured. No ant. And as always, I'm Lindsay. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and untapped at Lindsay Sold Out. And I'm Stephanie, and you can find me on Untapped, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr as underscore Stephen Color. And you can also follow my concert Instagram at Shitty Concert Blog. Stay drunk, guys. See you next time.